Welcome to Done and Done. I'm Alicia, your hostess on this podcast journey, All Things Dominic Dunn, where nothing is linear and everything is connected. Thanks for joining me today for this Nick in Time episode, as we are about to launch into our man Nick's coverage of the Sonny Von Bulow case, which really does set his third act trajectory. This week, it felt like a perfect time to catch up on Dominic Dunn. We are coming up on his birthday this week, after all, October 29th. Happy birthday, Dominic. What has been going on with our man Nick? From the last time we saw him, getting that encouraging letter from Truman Capote back in 1979, all the way to Dominic Dunn being in the courtroom in 1985, for the second murder trial of Klaus von Bülow. Dunn's third act is happening, and it is kind of incredible. Before we begin today's episode, I do have a spyglass here with some names of a few extraordinary folks who need a little bit of praise and love. I want to first up thank Alex B. and Mark S. for the kindest emails, y'all rock. Next up, our newest supporters over at patreon.com slash done and done. Big, big thanks to Connie, Casey, Annie, Marie, and Winston M. Thank you so much for your support on Patreon, getting ad-free early episodes and not done yet bonus episodes too. We dropped two of those last week. The first one covered seven more homes in our tour of Bellevue Avenue in Newport, Rhode Island from Chateau-sur-Mer to Bewley, getting us right down to Clarendon Court, which will be the focus of next week's Not Done Yet episode. The second bonus that we dropped this week over on Patreon was a little bit more dish about the two Mrs. Grenvilles, the television miniseries, and all the drama Dominic Dunn was going through to make the two Mrs. Grenvilles really sing before he was otherwise distracted with that Von Bulow trial, which is where we are going to end up in today's episode. What is happening with Dominic Dunn from 1980 to 1985? And how does the second Von Bulow trial launch him truly into his third act? Let's investigate. left Dominic Dunn in 1979-1980, he was in his own kind of recovery, in the mountains in Oregon, writing every day, mostly letters, but learning how to write. But he gets a letter to, an important one, from Truman Capote, encouraging Dominic Dunn to get back to his life, which Nick soon will. Once Nick decides to leave Hollywood for good, he sells it all and heads to New York City. He will land himself in a place that he can afford. This is a studio at 9 Fifth Avenue in the village. Dominic's new place has a window overlooking an air shaft. This is quite a long way from the home on Walden Drive, quite a long way from his apartment on Spalding Drive. Dominic's son, Griffin Dunn, is horrified. He says to his dad, you you can't live here, dad. And Dominic Dunn says, yeah, son, I think I can. And Nick will. 
writing what will be the winners, which was a pan, but at least it was a pan in the New York Times. Dunn is organizing his life around Alcoholics Anonymous meetings and getting the work done. It is in the early 1980s that Dominic Dunn is looking for the new thing he wants to write. Perhaps he's thinking about Truman Capote, who by this point has written his La Cote Basque 1965. Maybe there is a way for Dominic Dunn to think about his next project. You know he wants to do a Romano Clay. That's the direction he's veering to. Dominic's first thought is to do a Romano Clay about Ronald and Nancy Reagan. That idea doesn't get very far. And then Dominic Dunn thinks about David Bagelman, maybe, and some of the other Hollywood scandals. But Nick will land on an idea that he originally calls North Shore. This book idea that Dominic has, North Shore, will be about the marriage of Anne and Billy Woodward and Billy Woodward's death. We have covered the two Mrs. Grenvilles and Anne and Billy Woodward in an arc on Dun and Dunn, but I do want to bring this back around again here. North Shore will eventually become the two Mrs. Grenvilles, and it is here in Dominic Dunn's research for this project about Anne and Billy Woodward happening from New York City. He's now back in the city and Dominic Dunn is talking to all the people who would know Anne and Billy. While he is doing the research for the two Mrs. Grenvilles with all the high society upper crust set, as everyone is talking about a completely different case a case that is way more current in the news. What's that? The first murder trial of Klaus von Bülow on trial for the attempted murder of his wife. Klaus's first trial takes place in 1982 for a crime that happens two times, really. The first time Klaus von Bülow attempts to murder his wife, Sonny, is in 1979, The following year, Klaus does not succeed in his murder attempt again of Sonny, but this time in 1980, Klaus's attempt will put Sonny von Bülow in an irreversible coma for the rest of her life, which will go on another 27 years, 11 months, and 15 days. So when Dominic Dunn is talking to all the people about Sonny and Klaus, He's gaining all kinds of other intelligence about Anne and Billy Woodward and vice versa. Remember Dominic Dunn was obsessed with the Woodward case all the way back in 1955 before Dominic married Lenny. He dated a gal who had a relative married into the Woodward family and had all of the inside dish. Of course, Dominic Dunn, perhaps as an homage to Truman Capote, with all the background intel he has, will definitely choose the Woodwards to write about for his first really real novel. Klaus von Bülow was found guilty in that first trial, but in a reversal of fortunes, Klaus will be granted another trial in 1985 in which he was acquitted of those attempted murder charges. This is the mess that we are going to investigate in our coming episodes, but talk about a reversal of fortunes, this time for our man Nick. Dominic Dunn will be in the courtroom in 1985 
for that second Klaus von Bülow trial. Dunn will write about this case extensively for Vanity Fair in 1985 when he interviews Klaus von Bülow and his new mistress, Andrea Reynolds. Helmut Newton takes those pictures. From Dominic Dunn's early days in New York City, 1980, to that second Klaus von Bülow trial, a lot has happened. Dominic Dunn getting clean, beginning his career as a writer, the murder of his beloved daughter Dominique, the trial of her killer, meeting Tina Brown, and beginning his work at Vanity Fair, and now writing The Two Mrs. Grenvilles. The release of the novel The Two Mrs. Grenvilles will get Dominic Dunn a much better place to live. Not only does the book go on to sell 3 million copies worldwide, The Two Mrs. Grenvilles also gets picked up for a television miniseries deal. Dominic Dunn is going to take some of this cash and move on up in the world. Here, Nick will buy himself a one-room penthouse with Terrace at 155 West 49th Street in Manhattan. Our man Nick is arriving into his third act, and here he means to stay. And sure, things are groovy at Vanity Fair, but up to this point, save his piece Justice about his daughter Dominique and the trial of John Sweeney, Dominic Dunn has been writing puff pieces on his lady friends. Hollywood people, nice articles, interesting, but these are profiles. He's just starting out after all, but here with the launch of the two Mrs. Grenvilles, it is going to send Dominic into a different stratosphere. While the miniseries of the two Mrs. Grenvilles is filming, Dominic Dunn will leave that set to attend the second trial of Klaus von Bülow in 1985. Dunn is all in. Here he begins to have that heady feeling that he had back in Hollywood, investigating David Bagelman all those years ago. Dominic Dunn is on a quest for justice. He for sure thinks Klaus von Bülow did it. Dominic Dunn never hides that fact. And here, his reporting on this case for Vanity Fair and later on Power, Privilege, and Justice, honestly, his reporting is masterful. In 1985, Dominic Dunn is really finding his voice when it comes to real-time investigation, not just covering movie stars from a long time ago. Here he's going to become, within this Von Bülow trial, Dominic Dunn really does become an investigator. He fully immerses himself into his quest for justice. Dominic Dunn's coverage on this case is amazing. No one quite gets the scene like our man Nick. Remember, he's been in the scene for quite a while. There is a wonderful piece from the American Archive of Television where Dominic Dunn talks about Sonny Von Bulow and his coverage of the case. This background is simply too good not to share with you before we move to Sonny's episode next week. This is Dominic Dunn on Sonny Von Bulow and the case again from the American Archive of Television. Dominic Dunn says, Sonny Von Bulow was one of America's great heiresses. 
She was a very beautiful woman. Like so many of the cases I cover, I know the people. I had been to Sonny Von Bulow's coming out party when she was a debutante. She was never a friend of mine, but I knew her. And then she married a prince, had two kids from the prince marriage. And then she married Klaus Von Bulow, and she did have a drink problem and so forth, and uh, there was an attempted murder and a trial. He was found guilty in the first trial and sentenced to 30 years. Alan Dershowitz came in. It was overturned on appeal in trial two, which is the one I was at. He was acquitted. The interviewer asks, Dominic Dunn, in your opinion, is he guilty? Dunn responds, Oh, yes, I felt so. And he hates me a lot. I was in London recently. He moved to London afterwards. He's now the drama critic of the Catholic Herald now in London. The interviewer asks Dunn, You met with him at a certain point at his apartment. And Dominic Dunn gets a little confused here. And he's like, No, I didn't. And he's like, Of course I did. That's easy to understand. Think about how many apartments Dominic Dunn has been in. Dominic continues on, of course I was, during the trial. And one of the most bizarre things, he's on trial for murder and on the weekends. There is no thing, so we came down from Rhode Island and he had a mistress, Andrea Reynolds. The interviewer asks, who you knew from? Yeah, she was Hungarian. I knew her in San Moritz years ago. I mean, sort of knew her. And she, Andrea Reynolds, had moved into Sonny Von Bulow's apartment on Fifth Avenue, one of the most beautiful apartments, and they gave a lunch party. This is during a murder trial, with butlers with white gloves and all this kind of stuff. Well, I mean, that's right up my alley. I mean, an Helmut Newton, the great photographer, a wonderful man, a genius, I think, and a great friend of mine, he photographed Klaus and Andrea in black leather during that trial. I don't know if you remember those famous photographs. Oh, Dominic, I do remember it all too well. Dominic Dunn's coverage on the trials of Klaus von Bülow will be titled Fatal Charm, The Social Web of Klaus von Bülow, published in two parts in August and September 1985 in Vanity Fair. Dominic Dunn has arrived at the beginning of his third act, and his trajectory is only going to go up from this point onward. Here he fully realizes that he wants to cover the trials of the rich and powerful, as he knows fully well how justice works in a different way for them than it does for ordinary folks. And it begins. We're going to take a quick break and hear from our sponsors, and when we come back, we're going to do a little bit of a lead-in to get Dominic done to that trial. Back in just a moment. In this next bit, I do want to reveal a little bit of Dominic Dunn's writing as a lead-in to get us to arriving back next week into Newport, covering the entire Von Bulow happenings. Let's get set up for our heiress tour of Sonny Von Bulow next week. Here is the introduction and the first few paragraphs of Dominic Dunn's Fatal Charm, The Social Web of Klaus von Bülow. Again, this first section was published in August 1985 in Vanity Fair. All sources you can find at dunnanddunn.com. 
Here is your lead paragraph from this article. Dominic Dunn is the one writer with access to all the tangled circles surrounding Klaus von Bülow. During the second trial, Dunn was caught up among the dramatist personae. Both sides chose him as their confidant. The children talked, servants talked, mistresses talked, duchesses talked, and von Bülow himself talked, answering the telling questions. Does he love Andrea? Did he ever really love Sonny? What made him cry when he went back to Clarendon Court? Klaus von Bülow opened his door to Vanity Fair. The problem with Klaus, said one of Klaus von Bülow's closest friends at a Park Avenue dinner party, is that he does not dwell in the Palace of Truth. You see, he's a fake. He's always been a fake. His name is a fake. His life is a fake. He has created a character that he plays. Klaus is trompelé. Come in, come in, said von Bülow expansively as he opened the front door to Helmut Newton, the photographer, who had just arrived from Monte Carlo for the session and me. Von Bülow was standing in the marble-floored, green-walled, gilt-mirrored hallway of the Fifth Avenue apartment of his multi-millionaire-ass wife, whom he was accused of twice trying to kill. In the background, a very old Chinese butler hovered, watching the master of the house usurp his duties. On that May Sunday of the seventh week of his second trial, the Danish society figure was dressed in tight blue jeans and a black leather jacket. This is the first time I've actually posed for a picture since my front and side shots, said von Bülow in his deep, resonant English school international set voice. Oh, I just love Dominic Dunn's writing. A few more paragraphs here just to set us into the story. Dunn continues, From the beginning, the Von Bülow proceedings, legal and otherwise, had had an air of unreality about them. His once beautiful wife was one of the country's richest heiresses. His stepchildren were a prince and princess. His daughter was a disinherited teenager. His former mistress was a socialite actress. His current lady friend was a thrice-married Hungarian adventuress who was not the countess she was often described as being. The maid who testified against him had once worked for the Krupps. And lurking darkly in the background was a publicity-mad con man bent on destroying him. The apartment of Sonny von Bülow even by Fifth Avenue standards, is very grand. Located in one of the most exclusive buildings in New York, its current market value is estimated by one of the city's top realtors at nearly $8 million. Although a sophisticated friend of Von Bülow's complained that the 40-foot drawing room has, quote, far, far too many legs, unquote, it should be pointed out that the legs are by Chippendale, and of museum quality, as is nearly every object in the 14-room apartment looking down on Central Park. According to the terms of Sonny Von Bülow's will, the apartment will go to Von Bülow when she dies. So will Clarendon Court, the fabulous mansion set on 10 acres overlooking the sea in Newport, Rhode Island, where her two comas took place during successive Christmas holidays 
1979 and 1980. So will 14 million of her $75 million fortune. In the meantime, the maintenance on the apartment is paid for by Sonny's estate. So in effect, Von Bulow and his self-proclaimed mistress, Andrea Reynolds, have been largely supported by his comatose wife since his conviction in 1982 for her attempted murder. That verdict was overturned on appeal because certain materials had been withheld from the defense and others had been improperly admitted as evidence. And that, investigators, is only the setup. How does Dominic Dunn get all the inside scoop and how does he report it? We will resume next week here on the main feed for our heiress tour. Back to Newport, Rhode Island, back to Bellevue Avenue, and the story of Sonny Von Bulow. Her life and her loves, her home, her attempted murders, and the two trials of her second husband for those crimes. Before we resume next week, in the meantime, if you need more to your investigation here on Done and Done, check out patreon.com slash done and done. We are working through a Newport Bellevue Avenue tour. We are dropping as well a whole expose on Sonny and Klaus's home, Clarendon Court, as a bonus this week too. Oh, the spider webs in this ride of ours. Investigators, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you for being here, for listening to this episode, and for your support in all the ways for telling your friends and fellow podcast enthusiasts, for your kind emails, your kind reviews, and your Patreon support too. Thanks again for simply being awesome. And until we meet again, stay curious and keep on investigating. Thanks for listening to the Done and Done podcast, a Hemlock Creatives production. You can email us at doneanddone at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram at Done and Done Podcast. For further information about our episodes or sources, you can find us online at www.doneanddone.com. See you next week, friends.